Have you ever been floored by something you didn't expect? Have you ever literally been floored? Happened to me Friday. I was going down some steps in the rain. I knew they were slippery. I was helping my wife so she wouldn't fall. I was so careful. I knew I wasn't going to fall, and I took a fall and hit my back on the left side, thank goodness not on the spine, and slid down to the bottom, totally humiliated, confused, dazed. How did this happen? The next day, I went back to the same area where it was dry, now no longer raining, went up those same steps and discovered they were not all level. The building codes in Mexico, where we were, are not the same as they are here. And being an American, I'm accustomed to being protected by certain building codes. And apparently, they grandfathered that stairwell in or something where the level of the steps wasn't as important as the beauty of them. And they were beautiful. Things are changing in America. Maybe you've been floored by things you've seen in the news. You've been floored by, in your attempt to be loving and kind and yet firm in your beliefs, by being labeled a bigot. Or you've been floored by being labeled judgmental when you've only stated your heart and your beliefs. Paul, in Romans chapter 1, I believe, deals with culture such as ours, where changes are occurring and have occurred. And it's my desire today that we come away from this with a perspective that is God's perspective. I'm going to speak to you today on God's righteous, we know God is righteous, wrath, how his wrath works. His wrath works in stages. And a person can be under God's wrath and think they're being blessed. But I don't want to get ahead of myself. Let's dive right into the foundation of the sermon today is verse 16. Paul writes, I am not ashamed of the gospel or the good news of Christ. That is the story that he came to die for the sins of the world and has risen from the dead so that through faith in him, we can be forgiven of our sins and made right with God and given the gift of eternal life. For it, that is the gospel, is the power of God to salvation for everyone. Can we say everyone? Everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, you're not a Greek. You may be of Greek descent. Unless you're a guest here today, I don't know of any Greeks in our midst. I love Greeks. I love their food. I love their music. I love their culture. And I love Jews. Being in the days of the Roman Empire, everybody spoke Greek. And the Jews had a unique language to themselves. They, being you know multilingual people, also spoke Greek. But their culture was separated by their allegiance to what we call the Old Testament, which was written in Hebrew, and their knowledge of the Hebrew language. So the Hebrew speakers and the Greek speakers is covering everybody, the Jew and the Gentiles. That covers us all. And the gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. The Jewish person or the Gentile person, this promise is ours. Not for an elite people. It's for us all. Verse 17. For in it, in the gospel... The righteousness, that is his rightness, his perfect nature, is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just 
shall live by faith. You may not know how righteous God is until you become a believer. Until you understand His love and mercy that has drawn you to repentance is because He's so pure. He's so holy. He's so, he's so perfect. He's so righteous, dude. He's awesome. And this is revealed to us from faith to faith. We grow from faith to faith, from glory to glory, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. And the same faith I had when I became a believer is still operating. But that faith has generated more faith, developed more trust in God. I trust and believe in God more now than I did the day I was saved. So we grow from faith to faith. There's saving faith. There's a fruit of faith. There's a gift of faith. There's the walk of faith. There's the living of faith. The just shall live by faith. This verse birthed the Great Reformation. This is a verse that opened Martin Luther's eyes, who was attempting to earn his salvation to the point of self-flagellation, and he experienced salvation by realizing, I'm not good enough. I need God's righteousness on my behalf. So the righteousness of God is revealed to us from faith to faith. You see that? Then verse 18 for the wrath of God is also revealed. So God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith. And the wrath of God is revealed not from faith to faith, but from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Our sinful natures make us resistant to God's will many times. Our sinful nature can make us selfish, can make us vengeful, can make us prejudiced, can make us hard-hearted and harsh, can make us judgmental, can make us unloving, can make us sin. When God says don't, we'll do it. I give you a demonstration right now. I don't want anyone in this room for the next... Ten seconds to think of a pink elephant. Don't you dare think of a pink elephant. (laughs) Just the thought enters our mind and we're there. It's our nature. God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them For God has shown it to them. The fact we have eyeballs at work is a testimony. The eyeball is a closed system. There's no way a feeler could evolve into an eyeball because all the parts in the eye would be unnecessary if the eye didn't work. The thousands of intricate things in the the eye are testimony that we've been designed by someone greater than ourselves. God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes or his invisibles are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. I love to watch nature shows. Astounding facts of nature. Creatures, animals, 
Amazing. And then I hear them say some crazy thing. Yeah, this thing evolved 500 million years ago. And my mind thinks the sun is shrinking so many feet every second. Has anybody yet dialed back time to see how big the sun would be 100 million years ago? I believe the oceans would be boiling. Things couldn't be evolving here at the time. But don't confuse us with the facts. Verse 21, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. just have to insert this here. That's the Greek word for moron. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like Corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Monkeys. This is happening in our education system. Not just today. It started years ago. In 1933, some educators got together, highly educated men, and 33 of them signed a document called the Humanist Manifesto. And it has been an influence on our educational system. And I just want to read you some excerpts from it. It begins, The time has come for widespread recognition of the radical changes in religious beliefs throughout the modern world. The time has passed for mere revision of traditional attitudes. Science and economic change have disrupted the old beliefs. There it is. The economy is becoming Lord. Religions the world over are under the necessity of coming to terms with new conditions created by vastly increased knowledge and experience. And that paragraph ends with this statement. In order that religious humanism may be better understood, we, the undersigned, desire to make certain affirmations which we believe the facts of our contemporary life demonstrate. While this age, this is what was written just before these 15 affirmations. While this age does owe a vast debt to the traditional religions, it is nonetheless obvious that any religion that can hope to be synthesizing and a dynamic force for today must be shaped for the needs of this age. To establish such a religion is a major necessity of the present. It is a responsibility which rests upon this generation. We therefore affirm the following. First, Religious humanists regard the universe as self-existing and not created. Second, humanism believes that man is part of nature and that he has emerged as a result of a continuous process. Third, holding an organic view of life, humanists find that the traditional dualism of mind and body must be rejected. This is the roots to I can't help how I behave. Four, humanism recognizes that man's religious culture and civilization as clearly depicted by anthropology and history are the product of a gradual development due to his interaction with his natural environment and with his social heritage. Fifth, humanism asserts that the nature of the universe depicted by modern science makes unacceptable any supernatural or cosmic guarantees of human values. Are you seeing Romans 1 yet? Six. We are convinced that the time has passed for theism, deism, modernism, 
and several varieties of new thought. Time is over for religion. Number seven, religion consists of those actions, purposes, and experiences which are humanly significant. Nothing human is alien to the religious. So, being a human is being religious. Number eight, religious humanism considers the complete realization of human personality to be the end of man's life and seek its development and fulfillment in the here and now. Your best life now. Sounds good, doesn't it? Number nine, in the place of the old attitudes involved in worship and prayer, the humanist finds his religious emotions expressed in a heightened sense of a personal life in a cooperative effort to promote social well-being. Number ten, it follows that there will be no uniquely religious emotions and attitudes of the kind hitherto associated with belief in the supernatural. Eleven, man will learn to face the crisis of life in terms of his knowledge of their naturalness and probability. Number twelve, believing that religion must work increasingly for joy in living, religious humanists aim to foster the creative in man and to encourage achievements that add to the satisfactions of life. Can we say it's all about me? Thirteen, religious humanism maintains that all associations and institutions exist for the fulfillment of human life. Fourteen, humanists are firmly convinced that existing acquisitive and profit-motivated society has shown itself to be inadequate and that a radical change in methods, controls, and motives must be instituted. A socialized and cooperative economic order must be established to the end that the equitable distribution of the means of life be possible. Sounds good, right? Fifteen and last. We assert that humanism will affirm life rather than deny it, seek to elicit the possibilities of life not free from them, and endeavor to establish the conditions of a satisfactory life for all, not merely for the few. So stand the thesis of religious humanism. Though we consider the religious forms and ideas of our fathers no longer adequate, the quest for the good life is still the central task of mankind. Man is at last becoming aware that he alone is responsible for the realization of the world of his dreams, that he has within himself the power for its achievement. He must set intelligence and will to the task. That was penned in 1933. 1973, they revised it, and here's just a little synopsis on a slide I wanted to show you. Humanism is a progressive philosophy of life that, without supernaturalism, affirms our ability and responsibility to lead ethical lives of personal fulfillment that aspires to the greater good of humanity. The following manifests a consensus of what we believe. Knowledge of the world is derived by observation, experimentation, and rational analysis. Humans are an integral part of nature, the result of unguided evolutionary change. Ethical values are derived from human need and interest is tested by experience. Life's fulfillment emerges from individual participation in the service of human ideals. Humans are social by nature and find meaning in relationships. And working to benefit society maximizes individual happiness. 
We work to uphold the equal enjoyment of human rights and civil liberties in an open secular society and find that humanity has the ability to progress toward its highest ideals. The responsibility for our lives and the kind of world in which we live is ours and ours alone. So, in light of that, professing to be wise, Paul said they become fools. What's the result of that? Verse 24. Therefore, remember, in verse 10 said the wrath of God is revealed. Here's how his wrath begins to be revealed. Therefore, God also gave them up. Can we say God gave them up? God gave them up. Like a father who can't get a child to obey, sometimes has to back off and say, okay, I told you not to slide down the banister. Splat! Ah, I should have listened, Dad. This is the beginning of God's judgment, letting us go our own way. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up. He's not done giving up. To vile passions. For even their women exchange a natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. He's talking about homosexuality. It's very clear. He's not talking about temple worship. He's talking about idolatry and the results of us going our own way leads to all sorts of sin. But he doesn't stop there. So we're not bashing a certain sin. Verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind. Okay, you don't want me in your thinking? Let's let you get a taste of what life is like without me. To do those things which are not fitting. Being filled with all unrighteousness. Can we say all? That covers everything. Sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, Murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. People are forming allegiances with other people who have similar passions. Just find somebody that likes the same kind of sin and form a club, form a subculture, form a people group, and then demand equal rights. This is what's happening in our day. But he doesn't stop. He keeps right on writing. Therefore, You are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. 
So don't get on a high horse and yell about homosexuals when you've got a problem telling the truth. Or somebody loves to gossip, also wants to bash the gays. Paul basically saying, you're doing the same thing. For we know the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you know this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and the impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, here's the result, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then he goes on and says, for God is impartial. So what is God's wrath? It begins by letting us in our stubbornness go our own way. If we wake up, we'll repent. But some people are banking on God's goodness that this is the way it is, I'm fine. No, that's his goodness. That's his forbearance. He's letting you go your own way in hopes that you will wake up one day and say, I've had enough. I need salvation. This isn't working right. Something is wrong. I need help. Our foundation for living in this day and time to hold on to stability is not being ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for everyone. For the Jew first, the individual Jew, and also to the Greek, the individual Greek. While the world gets crazier and crazier and darker and darker, I believe the church will become brighter and brighter as we hold to the truth of the gospel so that one day some hungover Jew or some diseased Greek will wake up and say, I need Jesus. Where are they going to go? They're going to go to the people that walk in love and light and truth, and aren't being judgmental while doing the same thing themselves. So God isn't doing the wickedness in the world. He's allowing. Why? Man wants to, to the point of forming allegiances and signing documents, declaring their independence against God, writing their own constitutions for a godless life. But the Lord help us to understand how evil self-seeking is. That's the root of all of this. I want what I want. I want to be God. He promises in chapter 2 eternal life to those who seek glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking... And not obeying the truth, but obeying unrighteousness. Their promise, indignation, wrath, tribulation, and anguish. Some are saying, only God can judge me. That's true. And in light of that fact, 
we best take heed the condition of our soul. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that your word would come alive to us today, that we would understand that your wrath sometimes opens the door for us to see what life is like without you. And Lord, I pray that as a congregation and as individual believers, we would be ready to reap the harvest of lost souls that are going to be sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm reminded of the the Jesus movement in the 70s, of people that were into free love and drugs and disobeying their parents and winding all over the nation, hitchhiking, and yet, Lord, out of that came a mighty movement, the hippies by the thousands becoming believers. Help us, Lord, as a people, to be people of righteousness and truth, understanding how your wrath operates. While you may allow us to go the wicked way that we want to go, there will be a price to pay if we do not repent. So, Lord, help us as a congregation to be a light for righteousness and truth, understanding that it's your goodness and your kindness that leads us to repentance. And, Lord, may we exercise the same in Jesus' name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And may you be quick to sense his conviction when self-seeking ways want to rise up in our own hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.